Now, good morning. Now I know what many of you are thinking. Is it pink? Is it rose? Is it salmon? Is it rosé? It is rose. At my infinite ability that has no power to decide these things, it is rose. But you may be wondering to yourself, but Father, Father, why are you wearing rose in the middle of Lent? We know you wear rose during the third Sunday of Advent, but, but why this Sunday? Well, this Sunday is Latare Sunday. Latare is the Latin word for rejoice. And the reason why this is Latare Sunday is because the entrance antiphon, the first word of the entrance antiphon is Latare. Latare Jerusalem. Rejoice Jerusalem. That's the little bit I read before we started Mass, that little short little entrance antiphon. And this is the week because we've, we're coming to the final stretch of Lent. And this particular Sunday, the church says for us to rejoice, and thus we have this color of rose, this color of hope, this color of rejoicing that as we're getting ready to, in the midst of even our penances and our fasting, we know what is coming. For in a short few weeks, passion tide is upon us, and the most holy sacrifice of Easter, the most holy time of the year is celebrated the source of our Christian joy and hope, the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord. And thus we have this little reminder that in the throes of Lent, wherever we may find ourselves, we must remember what is coming. And thus how appropriate that we have a gospel that deals with rejoicing, or at least the question of how should we respond to times of rejoicing. Our today's gospel is the parable of the prodigal son, which many of us have heard time and time again. But I want to particularly focus on the reality present here, the reality of the father wanting his son back, the reality of the father wanting his son back. And this is the reason why the father rejoices. He wants his boy back, his boy who has gone astray, his boy who he describes as he was dead. Now we know the parable, the, the young son gets the idea, let me ask for my inheritance now, let me go and have fun with life's pleasures and youthful follies. And what does he go? He goes to his father and he says, Father, give me half, give me, give me what is mine. Now it's him and his older brother, that's the only two we know, so the household would have been split right down the middle. The older brother would have got the chief portion, but the younger son would have got his inheritance. And the father doesn't, he doesn't reject this offer. He does it. He does it out of love. He gives it to his son saying, okay, maybe this will be good for you now, but the son doesn't realize even what he is asking. He doesn't realize the way that he wounds his father's heart by saying, I want what is mine when you are dead. An inheritance is only given when the previous generation passes away. And thus, in a way, this young son in his foolishness is saying, Father, I wish you dead. Give me my money. And then he goes, he goes to a foreign land. And he wastes his inheritance on all these different things of food and wine and luxury and 
prostitutes and all the sensual pleasures, but then a famine strikes and he finds himself on hard times. He has to hire himself out to the lowest position, that of a swineherd, that of one who feeds the pigs. It's not a pretty sight. You have to go through the muck and the mud and this son who had pride in place in his father's household is now the lowest of hired hands. He doesn't even get the opportunity to eat the pods the pigs get to eat. And he hungers for it. But then he gets the idea, you know, my father's hired hands had a lot better life than I do here. Maybe I should return to him, but I can't go back, not after what I've done. I can't go back, not after I wished my father death. I can't go back. He'll never take me back. He'll never want me back. But maybe he'll take me back as a hired hand. He'll never take me back as a son, but maybe he'll take me back as a hired hand. And at least then I can eke out an existence. And thus he gets up and he goes on his way. And while he is still far off, the father sees him. The father sees him and runs to him. The father was actively waiting. He was looking for his boy. He was sitting on the porch, actively looking for the sign that his son may be coming back. And that is why when he is still a long way, his, it says his father caught sight of him and filled with compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. This is completely opposite of what this young son expected of his father's greeting. He is expecting his father to be cold and stern. He's expecting him to have to make his little plea what he's worked in his head time and time again on the road to back to the family farm. But it's not what he expected. It's not what happens. He's expecting to be rejected by his father. He's expecting the father to lord it over him. You use my son in your foolishness. This is what you get. But this is not what the father does. The father embraces him. In our confessional, we have a painting of this scene of the prodigal son a copy of Rembrandt's famous painting. And there's a, it's beautiful. The son is on his knees in tattered clothes, having his arms wrapped around the waist of the father, just as any little one wraps his arms around the waist of his daddy. And the father is like this over him, just embracing his boy, pulling his boy's head into his, into his chest. Most intimate embrace. Rembrandt, though, has a very interesting aspect he has a small jewel-encrusted dagger on the side of the sun. This one identifying mark of his inheritance that not even he could give up. And thus, though he wasted all the money of his inheritance, the one thing that binds him, his father's knife, it'd be the same way as your father's ring or your father's watch. You have to be on pretty hard times to even give that away, that one identifying part of you belonging to your family. And thus Rembrandt takes this artistic illustration, this artistic license to show that even in this, the son still belongs to his father with that sign of his inheritance. The father was again actively waiting. He embraces him and what does he do? He says to the servants, quickly, fetch the finest robe in the house. Fetch even my robe, put it upon the boy. Take one of my rings and put it upon his finger. Put new sandals on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast because this son of mine who was dead 
has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. This one that I've been pining for, this one that I have wasted so many, not wasted, but have spent so many nights praying for his return. The father rejoices in his son who was dead, who was dead in sin, has come back to life. And the parable firstly represents God's relationship with the nation of Israel. That this wayward son who takes the inheritance and goes away and wastes it with sin and a, and a life of licentiousness. That is Israel who departs from the covenant, who departs from the good promises that God has made to his people. In fact, we have the reading of them entering into the promised land in our first reading. That's their inheritance, this, this bountiful land, and that if they serve God, then his blessing will always be upon them. But what happens to the nation of Israel? They turn towards sinful actions. They worship other gods, but yet God takes them back. He wants them back. He pursues them. When Israel repents, God says, I take you back in, for you are my firstborn. You are my son. But then... This is also the same reality for us in the Christian life. How many of us have had our youthful folly, our sinfulness, that we have run away from the Father's love, that we have wasted our inheritance, the great inheritance of new life given in baptism by turning back to the things of this world, by turning back to sin when God has given us new life. How many of us have found ourselves in the death that sin, the wages of sin is death, St. Paul writes in, the letter, in his letter to the Romans. How many of us find ourselves there, have found ourselves there in our life? But yet, what happens? When we turn away from our sin, does God reject us? No. He does what the prodigal father does. He actively is looking for us. And when he sees us coming back to him, he doesn't wait for us to come to him. He runs to us. He embraces us. And he does this most powerfully in the sacrament of confession, where in the sacrament of confession, he puts a new robe upon us. He puts a ring back upon our finger and new sandals on our feet. What is happening to the young boy, the prodigal son in, our, in the gospel, in the parable is the father is restoring the dignity to this young man. This young man has lost all his dignity. He doesn't even see the value in himself. But what does the father do? He says, I will restore you. I will redeem you. I will redeem you from the death that you have been living in. You are found again. You are mine, and I will cherish you again. God does the same to us when we go to him in confession. And as beautiful as this is, not all is still well in the parable. We have to deal with the older son, the older son who comes from the field, who's been so diligent to his father, who, you know, has been loyal, who's written off his brother who has gone away, he's like, he's, he's made his bed, now he can sleep in it. He comes back to a commotion, a festival, a feast. The fattened calf has been slaughtered. And he's like, what's going on, what's going on? And the servant goes, your brother who was dead is back. He's alive, he's home. Your father is so joyful. This makes the son angry, the older brother. The older brother is just like, this cannot be. Why is he getting this? Why is he getting this special treatment? I have been faithful. I did not ask for my inheritance. Why does this unworthy one get all this treatment? And the father comes out and pleads with him, my son, rejoice with me. Your brother is back. He's alive again. He's home. But the brother's having none of it. 
Who then is this older brother? This older brother is the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the priest of Israel, who externally did everything of the law properly. They lived out fidelity to the covenant externally, but yet they did not live it out in their hearts. If they would have lived it out in their hearts, they would have been like the father rejoicing in this lost child, this lost son of Israel, coming back home, being redeemed. But yet they do not. There are Christians today who are like this older brother, who get upset that when people who have lived sinful lives come into the church, they have that conversion and they've lived their life faithfully. But have they lived it with love? Maybe they've lived it out externally, their faith, but have they lived it with love of their heart, in their hearts? Because we should rejoice when a lost brother or sister comes back to the church after so many years being away, when they have left their life of sin, we should rejoice for they who were dead in sin are now alive again in Christ. They get upset when they hear about those who on the deathbed convert to Catholicism, that those who have lived terrible lives, that they convert on the deathbed and that in a way they steal heaven, that when they have slaved their entire life, then how does this one get the easy way out? But they forget that our God is merciful. They forget that our God loves and that he desires more that all his children get to heaven than the particular way they get there. We as Christians should always rejoice when our brothers and sisters come back. And in the same way the prodigal father wanted his prodigal son, God the Father wants you. The God, God the Father wants his children who have gone astray. He doesn't care what they've done. He's made a way for them to come back. He wants us. There's a difference between simply wanting someone and simply taking them back. You know, if one of our children were to fall away on hard times and we take them back, we may do it begrudgingly. We may do it out of obligation. We may do it to save face. But when we want our children back, that is rooted in a love for them. That is rooted in a desire for the best for them. And that is what God wants for each and every one of us. He wants us back. So the question then is, we must ask ourselves in this parable, who are we? Are we the prodigal son that needs to come back to the father? Maybe through confession, maybe through pouring our heart out to him in adoration. Are we the prodigal father who is there to welcome our brothers and sisters back into the church saying, follow me, let me help you along this journey. Or do we find ourselves as the older brother who sneers when we hear about one of our brothers or sisters coming back into the church? That we are jealous, maybe, of the mercy that God is showing them. Where do we find ourselves? But the good thing is we can rejoice. We can rejoice as we're called to on this Latare Sunday to rejoice in the fact that the Father wants us, to rejoice in the fact that the Father has made a way for us, to rejoice when our brothers and sisters return to God. In this way, we live out what Christ is calling us. We live out true Christianity. We live out real Catholicism. And thus I say, rejoice.